Jesus turns to this group of Judeans who have already begun to follow him, who we would say already believe in him, and he says to them, if you continue in my word, you, will truly, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they say, we're already free. We're already free. He's selling something, and they're not sure they want to buy. I don't know about you, but I don't identify as a slave. I have, uh, if anybody asks me uh, if I'm free, I'm going to say yes. I have never been owned by anybody. I've never been held captive by anybody. I'm not in bondage. I'm an American citizen. I'm a Christian. And yet Jesus says, don't be so sure you're not free. I mean that you're free. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin which is something we even confess. We just confessed it. We are in bondage to sin or we're captives to sin and cannot free ourselves, we say on Sunday mornings. And then we try to forget it. We blot it out just like those Judeans conveniently forgot all about the fact that they were living under Roman oppression or that their ancestors had been enslaved for hundreds of years to the Egyptians no, Jesus, we say we have never been slaves. Or are we? I was looking through the news yesterday, and I saw a news article that, you know, sometimes they jump out at you. And I think the reason it jumped out is because there was a lot of fury around it. And it was blowing up on all these different uh, news outlets. And it seemed to me, I don't know, a little silly, honestly, but it got me to probing a little bit deeper. I started to dig around, and I realized that there were some facts behind the story. And uh, those facts intrigued me. One was that nearly 60% of uh, black kids in this country never learned to swim. I didn't know that. Or that that's almost double the number of white kids who don't know how to swim. So we seem to be learning those skills at a greater rate than some others. The story itself was about some comments that had been made in an interview, and I will say they were a little inarticulate and, made, and, and could have probably chosen some less inflammatory words if they wanted to be heard. But the story at the root of it, and I'm not going to even name any names because that's political, is that there is a couple... In Pennsylvania, and I don't follow Pennsylvania politics, I could care less about Pennsylvania politics, I don't live in Pennsylvania, but they had, uh, when the husband was elected to be the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania and they were supposed to move into the lieutenant governor's mansion, they made a choice not to move into the mansion, which took a lot of people off guard. But the wife was expressing in her interview that they had seen an opportunity because it had a swimming pool. And they thought, great, here is a chance, she said, to right wrongs. I would say just a chance to do something positive in the lives of children. And knowing about this disparity in swimming ability, she decided that they should make the lieutenant governor's mansion pool. Now, I don't know, if you had a chance to move into a mansion and have your own pool, maybe you already have a pool, but I don't. I probably wouldn't have thought of this. I probably would have moved into that mansion 
and enjoyed my pool. But they said, no, why don't we make it a public pool and use it to offer swimming lessons? And in 2019, children in that community began to have swimming lessons at the Lieutenant Governor's Mansion Pool. I think that's kind of cool. Personally, I think it was a nice gesture to share some resources with others. In fact, uh, Jesus even said that, do kind things to people who can't elevate you socially or in any way pay you back. So I started thinking about this swimming thing. From the age of three, I was in swimming lessons every year. That was whether I wanted to be or not. I generally wanted to be. But the water was very cold early in the morning. I don't know about you, but I started off, I think I was a tadpole, and then I got to become a minnow, and then maybe a guppy, and then you work your way up to something like porpoise. And by the time I was, you know, in high school, I had become a lifeguard. I spent my Louisiana summers, which are scorching hot, and we, you know, air conditioning was around, but it, it, my mother made us go outside. So we hung out in lakes and swimming pools. And my friends and I whiled away the hours diving for quarters in the deep end and playing Marco Polo and just seeing who could swim the longest and the furthest and the fastest underwater. And I thought back and I thought, you know, I don't remember any black kids being at the swimming pool. It was a community municipal pool in a neighborhood that was largely African-American. There was a golf course and a swim pool and the white community was sort of on one side of the golf course and the black families were on the other. The swimming pool was right there. There was no law saying they couldn't be at the pool, but people I remember telling me, oh, black people can't swim. You know, like what? Are they made of, are they like a rock? They just sink? Yeah. Um, no. Or they don't like water. They're afraid of the water. Well, if you can't swim, you're probably afraid of the water. Maybe it was just that they didn't have access to pools and swimming lessons. My school was desegregated in 1968 in my first grade class. I remember, you know, we had a few black students and we had uh, black staff, teachers and all that had been bused into our school and there were some kids from our neighborhood who had to be bused over to the black side of town to be in their schools. So we had done that. And in the 1960s and 70s, the buses had long since been integrated. So, you know, the buses were desegregated, the schools were desegregated, but the pools were not. If somebody brown-skinned ventured into the water, now again, there was no law to keep anybody out, but if they ventured in, you know what I remember? I remember the rest saying, ooh, and moving away and even getting out of the water and saying, you know, black people are just dirty. I remember. I remember that I grew up Lutheran by a twist of fate, truly. My, my trajectory looked like I was supposed to be United Methodist. I was baptized, christened United Methodist. But my parents were members of the first Methodist church in Shreveport, which was the big steeple church in downtown, you know, right at the end of the main drag. And uh, behind that church was an area of town known as the Bottoms. They've changed the name since then, but it was called the Bottoms. It had 
you know, open ditches and not well-paved roads and uh, no public libraries or pools or other resources. And it lay literally on bottom land that tended to flood. Around 1967, the church decided they were going to build this amazing new fellowship wing. You know, so there'd be a place for the youth to gather and, and the Sunday school classes. And on top of that wing, they were building a swimming pool up on the roof. And my father was a social worker, and when the church came around asking for funds to help, you know, doing the fundraising to build this addition, he asked if the neighborhood children, the ones that lived at the bottom of the hill behind the church, and who would be looking at the glistening swimming pool, would be invited to use it. And the church, of course, said, of course not. And my dad left the Methodist church. It made him furious, and he said, you know, how could Christians, people who are supposed to be following Jesus, be that cruel? And so we became Lutherans after that. Now, it wasn't necessarily because Lutherans were better. We just weren't building a swimming pool. <laughs> no, Jesus, we have never been slaves. In 1998, I was living in Hyde Park, which is a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Uh, it's been gentrified a lot since I lived there. Um, I was attending seminary in that neighborhood. The University of Chicago is in that neighborhood, along with a lot of other schools. But it was very much a mixed community, and there were certain boundaries. Now, nobody had actually painted a line down the streets or anything, but we were made aware of you know, if you cross that street, beware. There was a big natatorium, one of those, and, and it was probably from the era of the 1930s or maybe even the 1920s. It was gorgeous, old, you know, buildings that had a glass atrium roof. And I decided to go there. I found out it had a swimming pool, and I wanted my son, who was two, to have swimming lessons. So uh, it was just a short walk. And I decided we would go there. So we went, and the pool was gorgeous. It was massive. It was, it was bigger than this sanctuary. I mean, it was a huge, beautiful pool that did not get much use. I took Joel there for his first swimming lessons. And we were the only white people, the only white people who showed up at that pool. There were about 15 other mothers and at least as many uh, children all there to take the lessons too. And I was new, you know, in tan the community and wanted to make friends. And I remember greeting the other moms and, you know, trying to sort of get engage them in conversation or get in on their conversations. And they would always, you know, avert their eyes and do that group thing where they kind of wind up with their backs to you. And I tried every week, but it was always the same thing, and they would never let their children play with my son. And when we got into the water, they all moved away in mass as though we might be bringing some contamination. An echo from the past. I remember. Bondage is a funny thing. Because even when we have been set free, we tend to carry our chains with us. We keep carrying them right on into the future. 
And whether we think we're on top of the pile or whether we experience life and we think we're on the bottom, the truth is we are all captive to sin. We have not been able to free ourselves. We have all experienced some kind of spiritual death. We all carry pain and hurt and confusion. For all the strides we've made, and we have made some huge strides just in my lifetime, right? In the past 60 years or so, we cannot say we are free. Our world, our institutions, our cultures are tainted by corruption and idolatry because human beings introduce sin. It's the human condition. We're born into it. We cannot escape it. One minute we see the light, and the next minute we're blinded by it. Only Jesus can lead us out. Only Jesus can lead us out. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you continue in my word, he says, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He says the slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but the son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Judas Jones, professor, asks, what frees us? Not our works. Not groveling before God. Not the powers of this world. Only the truth revealed by God's incarnate word, Jesus Christ. He exposes the hatred and the selfishness and the lies that enslave us. When we listen to Jesus, when we trust him to name our sin and free us from it, he transforms our lives. He reforms us into new people so that we can be the children of God. He invites us to know him so deeply that his truth sinks down into our very being so that God's law is written and carved and engraved into our very hearts. We become disciples by staying in relationship with Jesus so that his words and his presence challenge and change us. This liberating truth that Jesus is talking about isn't head knowledge. It's not. It's not about learning your catechism and your facts or any set of ideas. It's a relational knowledge. It's putting trust in a person. Knowing the truth means knowing Jesus, the Christ. And he transforms us so that we can more faithfully live the, live the lives that God has called us to live. He doesn't just forgive our sins. He promises to liberate and make us free to follow him instead. Remain in my word, Jesus says. Remain, abide, dwell, stay in my word. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I am liberating you from sin and death, Jesus says, so that you may live life in my name, a life of realigned priorities, of realigned values, a life of bigger dreams, grounded in God's abundant 
love and grace, because the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, and you have a home in God forever. Amen.